St. Michael's, please stand.
Almighty God, to you all hearts are open, all desires known, and from you no secrets are hid. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And as we prepare to celebrate the mystery of Christ's love, let us acknowledge our sins and ask the Lord for pardon and strength. Please kneel. Most merciful God, I confess that I have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. By what I have done and by what I have left undone, I have not loved you with my whole heart. I have not loved my neighbors as myself. I am truly sorry and I humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on me and forgive me, that I may delight in your will and walk in your ways. To the glory of your name. Amen. Almighty God, have mercy on you, forgive you all your sins through our Lord Jesus Christ, strengthen you in all goodness, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, keep you in eternal life. Amen. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have have mercy. mercy. Lord, have mercy.
my 
steadfast faith and love, that through your grace we may proclaim your truth with boldness and minister your justice with compassion for the sake of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. You may be seated. Children. All right. The army of the Lord assembles. You all look wonderful this morning. Beautiful and handsome. If you would all reach out your hands and pray with me as we pray for these children, they go out for Sunday school. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would continually watch over these young people, fill their hearts and minds with the love of you, Lord God, with wisdom and with courage. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 This morning's first lesson comes from the book of Exodus, chapter 19, commencing at verse 1. In the third month, after the children of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on the same day, they came to the wilderness of Sinai. For they had departed from Rephidim and had come to the wilderness of Sinai and had camped in the wilderness. So Israel camped there before the mountain. And Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings, and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. So Moses came and called for the elders of the people, 
and laid before them all these words which the Lord commanded him. Then all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. So Moses brought back the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I come to you in the thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with you and believe you forever. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This morning's psalm is Psalm 50. We will read it responsively by the asterisk. The mighty one, God the Lord, has spoken and called the earth. From the rising of the sun to its going down. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty. Our God shall come and shall not keep silent. A fire shall devour before him, and it shall be very tempestuous all around him. He shall call to the heavens from above. And to the earth that he may speak. Gather my saints together to me. Let the heavens declare his righteousness. Hear, O my people, and I will speak. O Israel, and I will testify against you. I am God, your God. I will not rebuke you for your sacrifices or your burnt offerings. I will not take a bull from your house. For every beast of the forest is mine. I know all the birds of the mountains. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. This morning's New Testament reading comes from the book of Romans, chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. And perseverance, character, and character, hope. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For when we were still without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The word of the Lord.
Christ, according to St. Matthew. Glory Glory be to thee, O Lord. St. Matthew chapter 10, beginning at verse 1. And when Jesus had called his twelve disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits, to cast them out, and to heal all kinds of sicknesses and all kinds of disease. Now the names of the twelve apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Labaius, whose surname was Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out and commanded them, saying, Do not go into the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter a city of the Samaritans. But go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. The gospel of our Lord. Praise be to thee, Lord Christ.
Hello, hello. That's better. Um, so, as you may know, today is Father's Day. Happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there. And to myself, who is a father, yes. Um, I wrote an entire message with this Acts of the Apostles series, and then I was like, it's Father's Day. Maybe I should talk about Father's Day. And I was wrestling with this dilemma. But what we're really talking about when we dive into the Acts of the Apostles, and the reason why I was so excited to preach this sermon, is that we are talking about our fathers, the fathers of the faith, those who have set the way before us, who broke new ground, who quite literally changed the world. Uh, from the inside out. And so as we talk today, yes, I don't talk a lot about fathers, although it's probably one of the most important things uh, that the early church had. I just want you to think about our society, our culture. Uh, Last week we had that great line where Peter was preaching on Pentecost and he said, uh, Father, save us from this crooked generation. And I don't think that it is a shocker to anybody here that one of the major crises in our culture is the lack of fathers. And so when we talk about this and we talk about God's plan for the world and we talk about what the church should be, at the very least, it should be a place where we raise good fathers. At the very least, that is core to our mission. And so when we talk about this, I have a very simple question to lead us in to this Uh, message this morning, and it's going to take 2,000 years to explain. No, but the question I have today is, what is church? We use that word quite a bit. We're very familiar with it, but what is it? And believe it or not, this is our fourth Sunday uh, talking about the Acts of the Apostles, and we have yet to make it past Pentecost, and we will not be making it past Pentecost technically uh, uh, today either. Because there's this one little thing that's written at the end of Pentecost where it says, and 3,000 were added to their number that day. And then it says, what did they do with these 3,000 people? And that's what we're going to be talking about today. So technically, we're saying what happened right after Pentecost. So let's read in Acts chapter 2. Imagine this. You have these 11 guys. They've elected by the Holy Spirit uh, 12th person. Uh, to make up the 12 apostles, the people who are the leaders of the church. And they are given this task by Jesus to save the entire world. And they're trying to figure out what that means. And so this is the very basic beginning of what that means. It's deceptively simple, and yet it is extremely difficult. And yet it led to billions of Christians. So this is the game plan, right? you've ever wondered what is church or how do you do church well and you see all the different displays, at the very bedrock of what church is, is this passage right here that describes what the early church was doing. Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. That's the church. 
That summarizes the bedrock foundation of what we are supposed to do. So let's talk a little bit about this. There's kind of the four things that everybody talks about, right? They devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles, the breaking of the bread, the fellowship, and the prayers, right? You can separate those out, and we will talk about those things. But I actually think one of the secrets to the early church success is hidden in the sentence that leads to this, right? And they devoted themselves. Or in another translation, it says, and they continued steadfastly. Continuing steadfastly is not a normal thing in our culture. It is very rare to see anybody continue steadfastly at literally anything, including existing as a man. Uh, But that's a whole other conversation. There's this idea in our culture that we are completely changeable, mutable, that we can choose who we're going to be from one day to the next. And to see somebody who is just steadily who they are doing what they have committed themselves to for a lifetime, what's the great picture of that? Marriage is almost unheard of. Or at least when it's found, people are like, what? How is that possible? And yet, in the secret of the beginning of the church, continuing steadfastly is extremely essential. In fact, I think it is the secret sauce of the church. If you look at the church that has gone through extreme change, earthquakes, earth-shattering changes in ideology and culture and persecution, what is the one thing that remains. It is those who continue steadfastly. For 2,000 years, the church has existed because people chose to continue steadfastly. In our world, there are actually many methods. And in fact, I want to really center in on this whole idea of continuing steadfastly and contrast that with the relationships that we are experiencing in the world. In social media, We can block, unfriend, or ghost people at the smallest sign of conflict. In our jobs, we work as long as it benefits us, and then we move on to whatever we want to do next. In our churches, we have church shopping, which is a great thing. There's some great videos out there, right? Because what is church shopping, really? Church shopping is walking around to different churches and deciding which one has the best programs, the best things that benefit me all about me. I'm shopping for my church. Or if you're, you know, you're a really committed Christian, then maybe you church shop for the church that matches all of your beliefs about what Christianity can be so that you don't have to learn or grow or do anything, right? We have these ideas that are kind of baked into our evangelical culture that we don't even know that we hold. And it's kind of funny saying that to a lot of you who have been here for 30 years, but I do think that in the wider culture, there is this idea that it's really about what you decide. There's no continuing steadfastly, right? There's the idea that you do what benefits you. In our marriages, we see that represented in no-fault divorce. And actually, it's gone far enough that now you have a moral imperative to get out of a relationship if it's not benefiting you. Uh, Even as parents, in our culture, you'll see these you'll see these dramatic movies where, you know, the mother sits down with the son and says, you know, I have to leave. I have to go. I have to find myself. And the son goes, you do that, mom. I, I want you to go find your identity. Go to India. Do what you need to do. Self-discovery. I'm so proud of you, mom. No, that's actually not how it works. At the very least, a parent should be devoted to their child. Amen. Why are we celebrating Father's Day? Because it matters when a father lives as a father. 
You don't just annul that. You don't just get rid of that, dissolve that, go on your own spiritual journey. I'm saying all these things not because you don't know this, but because sometimes we can be blinded to the culture around us and the ideas that permeate our lives. We might even find ourselves congratulating somebody on getting out of their unhealthy marriage. Yes, absolutely. There are times when people need to get out of abusive situations in every single one of these, right? You might need to leave your job. It might not be a good job. I'm not saying you need to remain faithful to your job. You may even need to leave your spouse. I don't have any interest in defining what that might mean in this moment because I think it's a very dramatic and personal situation that has to be decided in discernment with the leaders uh, that God has put in your life, especially the leaders of the church. If you're in that type of situation, please reach out. There are resources. There are all these things that we can do. But my point is that that's not how God designed us to be. And yet we can get so bamboozled by the way our culture preaches this message over and over again that we think that really, what's the common thread with all of these things? You continue steadfastly until it doesn't benefit you. It's radical individualism. It's that every decision you make is based on you. Well, let me describe real briefly the situation of the early church. If you joined Christianity, you were immediately blacklisted from the Jewish culture that you had been raised in. Your parents might not talk to you, your brothers and sisters, your friends. You would be an outcast in this community. Very soon, not only that, you'd be a legal outcast. You might be beaten. You might be imprisoned. You might be killed. At what point do you stop continuing steadfastly with the church when your life is on the line? In our culture, the answer is clear. You need to protect yourself. You need to protect your family. You need to find a way to live your truth that doesn't come into conflict with what you want to do. But there was something about the early church where people chose to be in the church, in community, even to the point where guards would come to their house and they wouldn't tell the guards. They'd be like, hey, we're going to torture and kill you. And they'd just tell us who your leader is. And they'd say, no, you can torture and kill me. Or they'd say, don't, you need to recant your belief. Say that you don't believe in Jesus as Lord. And they say, no, I'm not going to say that. I think that that idea is so countercultural, and yet it's the bedrock foundation of how the early church survived for the first 300 years. They continued steadfastly. So let's be careful to separate wisdom when you do need to input a boundary, when you do need to make a change, when you do need to decide to do something different with inconstancy. The radical idea that whatever you do, do what makes you happy is not a Christian idea. You will never learn to love until you love the broken and messy relationships and people that God's put you with. If you float from place to place and just find the people that you like, you will never learn to continue steadfastly. That's why I get to hang out with all you guys that I don't like. No, I'm just kidding. There's something important about this. Well, I will just say, right, what makes St. Michael so amazing? Honestly, 30 years makes St. Michael so amazing. I've been here since I was born, and I look at the same faces. That's incredible. You don't find that anywhere. If you need any further evidence that our culture does not know how to continue steadfastly, just look 
at everybody's inability to maintain relationships over time. They might know their parents, but they probably don't know anybody else for that long. And I did say they might know their parents because you never know about that. So what were they continuing steadfastly in? Let's, let's continue here, right? First of all, the apostles' teaching. So what's the point here? You had these 12 leaders who were leading the church, and they were interpreting the Old Testament, as we call it now, to the church in the context of what Jesus had taught. Because, you know, they didn't actually have a Bible that they were handing out to people at this time. They actually had to tell people what, was, what Jesus had said. The Gospels hadn't been written. They literally had the Old Testament was in temples, and you could go and you could read it with other people, and then you would go home. You couldn't take it with you. And so what happened very quickly was that they got these teachers, the apostles, would raise up people, and it was almost like being a blacksmith. You'd, go, you'd be your, an apprentice, and you'd be a journeyman, and they would teach you all of the things that Christ taught, how it related to the Scriptures, and then they'd pass it on. And so we have these writings as people were preaching these sermons, and they're quoting the scriptures to their people because their people don't have a Bible. And so they're telling them, see, remember when it said here, it said there. And we can actually recreate the majority of the New Testament from the sermons that the church leaders wrote over the next couple hundred years after the apostles. Because they were trying to tell the people what the good news was, what the fellowship was. We are so blessed today that we can actually see all these writings you can actually go home and read them praise god but it was always meant to be taught in relationship with one another following the train of radical individualism there's this idea of me jesus and my bible i know what christianity is because i have my bible and i know what it says that's never been the the model of the church the model of the church is we all come together with our separate knowledges, our separate perspectives, and we trust the leadership of the church, the guidance of the Holy Spirit, and the community to safeguard the Bible throughout the ages and to understand what it means. Did you know you can go out and read the Bible and justify slavery? In fact, there were people who did that. Now, we can read the Bible today and say, well, they were wrong. But why were they wrong? Because they weren't in community with the tradition of the church. They weren't in community with the way the Bible had been read since the beginning. And so they found their own isolated groups of people who all got together and said, well, this is what it must mean. Out of communication with the 2,000 years of church interpretation and history. So when I get up here and preach, when Father Powell, when Bishop when all of us get up here and preach, what we're doing is we're continuing the tradition of taking the scriptures and talking about them to you guys. And then we go to our home groups and they ask questions. And Mary Patrick asks 10 more than everybody else because she's so curious. And she says, like, well, what does this mean, Jesse? And we all have a conversation. And we say, well, let's look at that. Or maybe we need to look it up. Or maybe we need to look to a commentary. Or sometimes the answer is, I don't know what it means. And that's the journey. When it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, it doesn't mean that they went home and they read their Bibles and they came up with their own interpretations and they lived their life. It means that they lived community together and they figured out what Christianity was together, led by the leaders of the church, the apostles. That's why we have bishops and priests and deacons is because we are commissioned to help steward the sacraments, the revelation of God, and communicate them to you all. And the reason we have you all is because there's only so many of us. 
And you're called to take that message into the world, to build your families, to build the kingdom of God. Okay, so they devoted themselves to the teaching. I will say one more thing about this. They literally had to teach them how to respond when somebody was holding a knife to their children and saying, do you reject Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? I bring that situation up because I think we think that it's all up here. You got to know the Christian faith up here. But they knew from the very beginning that you have to actually live the Christian faith. What do you do when the Roman centurion's knocking on your door? Or what do you do when you have an opportunity to uh, betray someone who you know is a Roman informant? How do you love them? How do you forgive them? How do you respond in these dramatic situations? We've gotten to the point where it's like, yeah, I can know Christianity and then I can live my life over here however I want. We know the truths of Christianity, but we don't know how to apply them to our lives. They had to know because they were literally fighting for their existence. The church was going to get snuffed out. There were lots of people who were willing to go as far as they could, including Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, was finding Christians to arrest them and kill them. So why did the devotion to the apostles' teaching, it mattered not intellectually, it mattered in how they lived their life. So when they said, what did Jesus mean when he said, turn the other cheek? They actually had to go out and turn the other cheek. What does that mean? So all of this led to a revolution in the world. And I don't have time to scale all of these things out. But I will say that the reason that we believe that humans have dignity today, the reason slavery doesn't exist, or we, if it does, it's illegal and we condemn it universally, all of the things that we hold dear, the fact that we have hospitals and universities, all of that came out of the ideas that were in the apostles' teaching that they were devoting themselves to. Because back then, you know what? You would go and you would sleep with temple prostitutes over here to get your devotion to the sex god. And then you'd bring the baby of that union to this other god and you would sacrifice your baby to that god. And that was considered normal. How radically different is our world? Because they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That's amazing. I don't know. It's amazing to me. And they devoted themselves to fellowship. We just had a little bit of conversation about what that might mean when we talked about continuing steadfastly. But I just want to give you one little story. And you'll recognize this story. It's kind of an archetypal story in our culture. Imagine a person who grows up and they're the only child in their family and they go to college and they get a job in the big city and they make a nice living. They have a decent apartment. They exchange memes with somebody at church or at work. They share their emotions with their therapist on an online therapist site like BetterHelp. And on their birthday, they get a mailed present from their parents and they get a shout out in the generic company email, birthdays this month. And then they die. There's something about this story that has so influenced our culture that I could list 10 movies that address this exact problem. From Fight Club to 500 Days of Summer to all these things. And what happens in these movies? Something interrupts their life their meaningless existence, and they see, oh, wow, there's something. There's a crisis that I need to solve. There's somebody I need to love. There's something I need to do. We have these stories told again and again and again. What I want to tell you about that story today is that you're called to be the interruption in that person's life. 
who all these people in this city, there's probably thousands of people who have a life that matches that archetype. They're alone. They don't know anybody except some friends at work. And maybe they have some relationship with their parents or their siblings, but they don't have a community. They haven't grown up for 30 years with people who love and care for them. Nearly everyone in this room who has known me since then has impacted my life for the better. Where would I be without you guys? I don't know. Alone in an apartment watching Apple TV Plus? I don't know. I wouldn't be here. Not without you. And so when it says they devoted themselves to fellowship, that's for today. We need to devote ourselves to fellowship. And we need to be the interruption in people's lives. And we need to tell them there is a crisis that only you can solve. There's a world that needs you to save it. There's a kingdom that needs you to build it. And you are loved unconditionally. You are welcome. We want you to be a part of us. There's probably people that we've encountered on a daily basis who if we said that to them, it would change their life. So when we talk about devoting ourselves to fellowship, I think we do an awesome job here. And I'm really proud to be a part of St. Michael's. But man, there's so many people who need an interruption in their life to know that they need to be a part of us. Okay, the breaking of the bread. We have a really great understanding of the Eucharist table, that it's the highest part of our worship. You encounter the presence of God, the breaking of bread. That's what they were talking about. But they were talking about more than that. Because at first, they didn't really have a theology of the Eucharist. They didn't have a Eucharistic prayer right to. They didn't have all the things that they built up over time. All they knew was that Jesus told them, when you gather, do this. This is my body. This is my blood. And so the table, when they invited their people and they went home to home having these things, changed the world. Because you know who was invited to that table? The slave and the rich man. The woman and the man. Everyone was invited. Eventually, the Gentiles and the Jews sat at table together. Not only did the ideas of the apostles' teaching, but the practice of the breaking of bread broke the world. It changed this hierarchy. It changed the relationships of one to another. So my challenge today is, yes, absolutely, come to the Eucharist table. All are invited. Let's bring people to the Eucharist table to meet Jesus. But also, let's bring people to our homes to meet Jesus. Let's invite people to dinner. Let's have fellowship to get one, one with another. Let's break bread together. Let's change the world again. It's still our calling. In the same way that we have one way to interrupt that guy who lives alone in an apartment is to invite him to a meal. There are people in here who do that really well. I mean, I got to call out Liz and Nathan who are awesome at just like reaching out to people. And these things change lives, right? Okay. They devoted themselves to the prayers. So this is a bunch of Jewish people. They have all these prayers for 2,000 years or however many years that they're playing with as Jews. And they're trying to figure them out. And then Jesus comes and everything changes. And then they look at the prayers and they go, that prayer was about Jesus. Look at that prayer. It was about Jesus. Oh, that prayer, we can change that to be about Jesus. And they took all these prayers and they made them the practice of their community, right? Because what you say when you talk to God, what you say when you come before God, actually shapes what you believe about God. So when we come together and we say these prayers, these prayers have been culminating for 2,000 years as Christians have built on that foundation. They matter. So they devoted themselves to these elements, the apostles' teaching, fellowship, the breaking of the bread, 
and the prayers. And then you say, what does it mean to be a Christian? Well, you have to believe that Jesus died for you, and then you're a Christian. Not really. Maybe if you're a Christian, you need to devote yourself to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. And absolutely, belief is essential to that. But it's not enough for that. Otherwise, they could have just told the story of Jesus' life and then handed out tracts saying, accept Jesus as Lord and Savior and you'll get to heaven. No, we have an entire New Testament that's exploring what does it actually mean to be the church, to be Christian. And at the very least, it means these things. Amen? So what happens in the church when they're steadfastly devoted to these things? Well, it says, awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. We read that today. Go out and heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, open the eyes of the blind. These are the things that should be happening in the church that's devoted to these four things that continue steadfastly. And I believe that for our church. We've seen people be healed. We've seen people be changed. We've seen people come to Christ who should not have come to Christ. They were spiritually broken and God made them whole. That's amazing. Let's continue. And then it says this crazy thing, all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. That's a challenging verse. I like my things. I don't want to sell them and give them to everybody. What is the point here? The point is that what happens when you devote yourself to a God who sent his only son, like everything, to die on a cross, who gave everything for us, you become generous. Because if your God can die on a cross for you, then maybe you could sell your car and give it to somebody who needs it. Now, today I want to encourage you that God is actually moving something very particular in our community. I'm not going to give a whole message on giving. But I want you to know how good giving is. Because when we were praying at our rector's council meeting, we felt like God had given us some things that he wanted to do in our church. And one of those things was that he wanted to make us a generous people. And really, at the heart of what giving is, is that you trust God's generosity more than your own. Because he says, give and it shall be given unto you. Shaken together, pressed down, and overflowing. So there's nothing that you give that cannot be given back to you. And by that I mean there's nothing that you give. Maybe he doesn't give you that same car back. But he absolutely challenges us to test him and his ability to provide for us when we give. And so... Like I said, we don't have time to go through an entire giving message. Although I really want to because giving is so good. It is so good. But I want to give you a little bit of what Paul wrote when he was considering. You know, he's seen the early church. He knows the stories. He's engaged with these people. And he's going to another church and he's asking them for money. And this is what he has to say about it because they need to support one of the other missions. 2 Corinthians 9, 6. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. 
And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. I want all sufficiency in all things at all times. That sounds great. So how do I do that? I become a cheerful giver. The early church was not powerful because they had so much money. They were powerful because they were generous. It's not about how much money. It's about if you're generous. You could be a billionaire and give far more money than anybody here and not be generous. Or you can be the widow and give two mites and Jesus notices and says she gave everything she had. I know which one I want to be. I want to be the one who has sufficiency in all things at all times. Amen? So when we look at that verse and we're challenged, they gave everything and they had everything in common. What's the point? They were willing to lay down their lives one for another. And one of the chief ways to demonstrate that is with your money. Because otherwise it can have such a hold on us. I want to be a part of a church like this. God's building us into a church like this. And it says in verse 46, And day by day, because they were doing these things, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. That's what God is building at St. Michael's. Yes, we've been that. Yes, we are that. But God is also making us be that again. Amen? Amen. I believe in one God, the Father Father Almighty, Almighty, maker of heaven and earth and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit, and the Virgin Mary, and was made man, and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again in accordance with the Scriptures, and ascended into heaven, and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he shall come again with glory to judge the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins. And I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Brothers and sisters, since we have been justified through faith in Christ, We have peace with God and access to his throne in heaven. Therefore, let us bring our needs and the needs of the entire world before him. That the church will boldly proclaim the kingdom of God is at hand. Lord, in your mercy, 
hear our prayer. That nations will foster an environment that encourages freedom of religion and the furthering of the gospel. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. That churches in the in third world countries will be provided with the necessary resources to further God's kingdom and to meet the needs of their people. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. That the hearts of parents will be turned to their children and the hearts of children be t- turned to their parents. Lord, in your mercy, that the people of God will express to the least, the lost, the lonely, and the marginalized, the love that God has demonstrated to us through Jesus, through Jesus, through Jesus. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. That just as the apostles responded to the call of Jesus, May many respond to his call to the priesthood, diaconate, and other Christian ministries. Lord, in your mercy, that we will walk in the love that God has poured out into our hearts through his Holy Spirit. Lord, in your mercy. Heavenly Father, you have demonstrated your love to us in many unspeakable ways. Hear our prayer. And through your unfailing love, respond again to our request through Christ our Lord. Amen. The peace of the Lord be always with you. With your spirit. Turn and greet each other with the peace of the Lord. All right, we have just a few announcements, but uh, one big one is the June Jubilee honoring Debbie Powell and teachers, students, alumni. Uh, this coming Friday, see Becky Reed if you'd like to be a part of that. We'd love to have you there. Also, our Foundation Day offering is coming up uh, this next Sunday. Uh, it's $10 per family member, and uh, you can, uh, Father Lewis or Bishop Kessel will explain more about that on next Sunday. Chili Cookoff is at Tierra Grande Park, and see Bethany Mercer for that. That's coming up on the 1st of July. I want to give out a big thank you to everybody who showed up here at Word Day and the Rummage Sale. We did a really great job Amen. yesterday. We had Amen. a really good day at that. Any other uh, announcements, you can look up on the board. The grad list is up there as well. Father Powell, do you have any comments? Yeah, congratulations to all our graduates this year. Check the names off. Give them your congratulations. I want to also uh, encourage everybody. Uh, there's links you can pay to give your RSVP for the for the school get together on this on this Friday because it's like this Friday. Uh, Becky has already prepared a place for you, <laughs> right? <laughs> so get signed up. We want to be there, and I'm I really want to encourage uh, um, all the alumni of the academy to show up. You know, there's a you see a lot of really close bonds among the kids as they grow up, and there's going to be a lot of people there you're going to want to see. Uh, maybe some to say, I miss you, it's good to see you, maybe to shake your fist at them. Uh, but uh, I think it'll be a great, great experience, especially for those um, 
You know, I say those young people who graduated from there, but some of you kids are getting a little old. <laughs> the school has been around a long time. Uh, we are we are celebrating that Debbie has been a, uh, is leaving her teaching role after 30 years. Bill's been there 30 years. Chris, the same. So yeah, and we've had a lot of a lot of our teachers there for a long time. The school's been around 40 years, making a difference in this world. It's very important, um, not just to the kids who go through there, but for their parents. Uh, helping them to see that their kids are raised and educated in an environment where the faith that they believe at school is the same as they believe at home. Uh, and and to also learn to read and write, which is very important. So praise God for our school. I'm very grateful for it. So uh, if you're an alumni, be there. If you're a teacher, uh, I got your ticket. So you be there, and for everyone else that's nearby that wants to celebrate and honor that important, important ministry, please do. Friday, amen. Amen. Father Lewis, can I give one more plug? Yeah. Um, Hey, summer is here, and our society volunteers are kind of dwindling and it's only because most people are on vacation or on the road if you can uh, if you are able to come out please do it would be very helpful on mondays at uh, right around 3 15 3 30 let's continue with our offertory offer to god a sacrifice of thanksgiving and make good your vows to the most high let us with gladness present the offerings and oblations of our life and labor to the lord
Blessed are you, Lord, God of all creation. For through your goodness we have received the bread we offer you, the fruit of the earth and the work of human hands, who will become the body of Christ. Blessed, be God Blessed are you, Lord God of all creation. For through your goodness we receive the wine we offer you, the fruit of the vine and the work of human hands, who will become the blood of Christ. Blessed are you, Lord of God of all creation. To your goodness, we bring these tithes and offerings before you. They will be used in your church for the work you have set before us and for the furthering of your kingdom. Blessed be God forever. The Lord be with you. With your spirit. Lift up your hearts. Lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Father, all-powerful and ever-living God, we do well always and everywhere to give you thanks through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Through his cross and resurrection, he freed us from sin and death and called us to the glory that has made us a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people set apart. Everywhere we proclaim your mighty works, for you have called us out of darkness into your own wonderful light. And so with all the choirs of angels in heaven, we proclaim your glory and join in their unending hymn of praise. you are holy indeed, the fountain of all holiness. Make holy, therefore, these gifts, we pray, by sending down your Holy Spirit upon them so that they may become for us the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Before he was given up to death, a death he freely accepted, he took bread. He gave you thanks. He broke the bread and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this for the remembrance of me. When supper had ended, he took the cup. Again, he gave you thanks and praise, gave the cup to his disciples and said, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this for the remembrance of me.
Let us proclaim the mystery of our faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. In memory of his death and resurrection, we offer you, Father, this life-giving bread, this saving cup. We thank you for counting us worthy to stand in your presence and serve you. Humbly we pray that, partaking of the body and blood of Christ, we may be gathered into one by the Holy Spirit. Lord, remember your church throughout the world. Make us grow in love together with our patriarch, Craig, our Bishop Douglas, and all the clergy. Remember those for whom we now pray. Susan, Naomi, Sonia, Sandra, Karen, Tammy, Liliana, Sherry, Jonathan, Alfred, Jerry, Bob, Nick, Sandy, Chuck, the House family, the Marines and sailors of Camp Pendleton, and all those who serve in our armed forces. You can add the names of the people that you're praying for. Draw our hearts to remember the poor and broken. As we receive the body and blood of Jesus, may we be transformed to become the body of Christ to the world. Lord, have mercy on us all. Lord, you have made us worthy to share eternal life with the Blessed Virgin Mary, the mother of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, Joseph, her husband, and with the apostles, martyrs, and with all the saints. May we praise you in union with them and give you glory through your Son, Jesus Christ. By him, with him, and in him, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all honor and glory is yours, Almighty Father, now and forever. Amen. And now, as our Savior Christ had taught us, we are bold to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Behold the Lamb of God. Behold him who takes away the sin of the world. Blessed are those who are called to the supper of the Lamb. Say the word, and my soul shall be healed. Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. The gifts of God for the people of God.
Let us pray. Eternal God, Heavenly Father, you have graciously accepted us as living members of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And you have fed us with spiritual food and the sacrament of his body and blood. Send us now into the world in peace and grant us strength and courage to love and serve you with gladness and singleness of heart. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. St. Michael, the archangel, defend us in the battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke me, humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the divine power of God, cast into hell Satan and all evil spirits who roam throughout the world, seeking the ruin of souls. As you go out from this place, always remember the gospel, that God was in Christ Jesus, reconciling the world to himself and not counting your sins against you. God loves you. God has forgiven you. God is not mad at you. And God will never leave you nor forsake you. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be with you and those you love and care for now and forever. Amen. Thanks be to God.